Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us this morning. I hope you all are doing well. My name is Travis. Uh, if it is your first time here, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us. And uh, I would just ask you, if you wouldn't mind doing me a huge favor before you head home today, stopping by our welcome table. It's right back out in the hallway as you exit. I have a free gift that I'd love to put in your hands today, again, just as a way to let you know how much we love and appreciate you being our guest today. And we also have a little welcome card if you wouldn't mind filling that out, just get a little bit of information for you. And that just gives me an opportunity to reach out this week, give you a phone call, send you an email, and again, just let you know how grateful we are for your visit today. And uh, you catch us on a good Sunday. We are starting a brand new sermon series today that we are calling Good News. Good News. So we are gonna spend the next six weeks examining and looking at the good news of Scripture, what, what God's message is to us and to the world. And I don't know about you, but it seems like good news is, is, is kind of in short supply lately. Maybe I'm just a, a pessimist. Maybe I'm just, you know, glass, glass half empty kind of person. But it feels like any, any update you might get, any phone call, email, is going to be bad news, right? Or um, my wife's a teacher, so she teaches first grade. And it seems like when she's giving me an update about her day, and she's like, oh, I got this email from a parent or an administrator, my mind immediately goes, oh no, what happened? She's like, oh no, 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 it's, it's good news. I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm kind of surprised at that. When you examine the world around us, our, our country, the, the world at large, global news, it seems like each day we're getting more and more updates about how much evil and tragedy and brokenness there is around us. So I'm thankful that when we come to scripture, that's not the message of God. The message of God is good news it's often referred to as the gospel, and that, that word literally means good news. And the message of the gospel, the message of God, is, is his good news of how much he loves us and how he died to save and rescue and redeem not just us, but this broken world around us. So we're going to spend six weeks looking at this message from Scripture. And if, you're, if you've been in church for a while, you're familiar, you've been a Christian for a while, uh, maybe some of this will seem like, oh, this is you know, some basic stuff that we're looking. Yeah, we're getting back to the basics, some foundational truths. Whether you've been a believer for a long time, short time, been in church, never been in church, this is a great opportunity to learn more about who God is, or be reminded about who God is, who we are, and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so this, this message of God, the gospel, is a message, it's a story that's woven all throughout scripture. Every page from the beginning to the end is telling the same story. And like all good stories, we, we need to start at the beginning, right? We don't pick up a book that we've never read and just kind of flip open and go, oh, I'll just start reading here. Like, we don't, we don't do that. We don't just jump to a movie that we've never seen before. Oh, just skip the beginning. I don't need to know that. Just skip to the middle or the end. That's all I need to know. No, we, we start at the beginning, right? So, and so I think sometimes when we come to Scripture, we, we neglect the beginning of the story of God's message. So I want to get back to that today. And God's message, like I said, starts at the very beginning, at, at the beginning of all creations. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to the very first book, the very first chapter, the very first verse and words of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. You can follow along with all the verses on the screen right here. If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles, again, at our welcome table. We'd love to give you one of those before you head out today. Again, just stop by there. We'd get you one of those Bibles. Love to put that in your hands. But Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read this entire chapter, and then we'll spend some time talking about what it tells us about who God is and what it tells us about us as people. So it's Genesis 
chapter one, starting in verse one. It says, in the beginning, God, and let's stop right there. Stop right there because God's story is about him. The Bible is about God. God's message is about him. It is not primarily about us. We are not the main character or the hero of this story. God is. This is about him. Let's keep going. I promise I won't stop after every three words, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning one day. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, then morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and tree-bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters of the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl in the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. 
For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So since God's message starts with him, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about what creation, what Genesis chapter 1 tells us about God. What does this teach us about who God is? And and simply this, it, it tells us that God is the creator of everything and everyone. God is the creator of everything and everyone. Everything has its existence because God spoke it into existence. He did it all, right? He says, let there be light. Boom, there was light. Says, oh, I'm not done with that. Let me separate things. Let me create the sky. Let me create the sun and the moon. Let me take the stars and put them in place. Let me, let me fill the waters with animals, right? So God's creating things like the humpback whale and sharks and fish and seals and, and everything that we see in the water. God creates all of it. And then he, he creates everything on the land, right? And we see all these incredible animals out there. We took our, our youngest, uh, Mila. She turned two on Wednesday, so she's a two-year-old, so pray for us. And we've got two older ones as well, uh, Zayden, who's seven, and, and then Livy, who's six. So we, we took them out of school. We took everybody down to the zoo for Mila's birthday. She loves animals. And, and I mean, you're seeing just all different types, and, and it's a little sad that we take them from their native place and then put them in these cages. But it's really cool to see a lion up close or, or a tiger or a giraffe and elephant and and like alpacas and things like that. Just like the creative beauty of what God did with the animals. Like he did all of that. He created everything that we see. He did all of that, all the trees and plants and and mountain peaks and and valleys and rivers and streams and, and canyons, everything that we see God created. He created everything and then he didn't stop. On the sixth day, he created everyone. He created man and woman, male and female. He created us in his image. God is the creator of everything and everyone. And we see this, again, throughout all of Scripture, not only in Genesis 1, but places like Psalm 33, 6 through 9. It says, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Just think about that for a second speaking everything into existence. God's just just breathing out stars and galaxies in the universe. Like, that's just crazy. Verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea into a heap. He puts puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came into being. He commanded, and it came into existence. God speaks creation into existence. Everything that we see is a result of his word. Psalm 8 verse 3 says that God sets the moon and stars in place. Like that's just wild when you really think about that. Like think about how, what science is telling us how big stars and galaxies are, how big the sun is. And God's just like, oh, here, I've got it in my hand. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put you right there. Oh, here's another star. I'm going to put you over here. Oh, this side of the sky is not sparkling enough. Let me put some more stars there. Like he's breathing out and just taking them and just putting them into place. Like that's crazy, y'all. That's wild. That's who our God is. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, God created with his great power. So there's nothing more powerful than God. God created everything. There is nothing that exists that is above and over our God. He is all powerful. Isaiah 42, 12 says that God stretches out the heavens. He stretches out 
the universe. Like we don't even know how big the universe is and God's just stretching it out with his hands. That's our God. Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Everything, everything belongs to the Lord. Hebrews 1.3 says that God right now at this moment is upholding everything in the universe by the word of his power. Upholds everything just by, just by saying, hey, universe, do this. And it does that. Like, that's, just, that's wild. Ephesians 2.10 says that creation is God's handiwork. He's like this, this skilled craftsman, this artist as he creates. Our God is a creative God. Nehemiah 9.6 says that he created everything on the earth and everything in the sea. Again, everything that we see, God creates. Psalm 95 verses 4 and 5, the depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. I mean, again, think about that. The depths of the earth are in his hand. They they tell us the deepest part of the earth is somewhere in the Mariana Trench, like 36,000 something feet. And God's just like, oh yeah, I got it just right here in my hand, right here. And then the the highest peak, the highest peak, Mount Everest, over 29,000 feet. God's just like, oh yeah, here, here it is, right here. Got it in my hand. That's our God. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. All of this that we see, all of creation speaks and proclaims and tells how great and glorious our God is. That's what creation tells us. Creation tells us that our God is powerful. Creation tells us that that our God is over creation, right? He's not in creation. He's not in the plants. He's not in the waters. He's not in creation. He is over and above creation. Tells us that, that he is bigger than creation, that he is a creative God that created all the multitudes, everything that we see, all the diversity that we see. Like that is because of God's creative artistic design. She tells us that, that, he, that he cares about creation, that, that he loves his creation. And he tells us over and over again in Genesis 1 how good he steps back and he's like, oh yeah, that's good. I created this awesome blue whale that's massive. Oh yeah, that's good. Oh, that's cool. I created a lion. Oh yeah, that's good. I created man and woman. Oh yeah, that is very good. It's good. He loves his creation. And look, this is just like Psalm 33 said. When we, when we step back and we look at creation, we think about all that God did. It should cause us to stand in awe of our God. It should cause us to stand and go, whoa, God, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're incredible. That's what creation does. That's what creation teaches us about God. Now, what does it teach us about you and I? What does it teach us about people? So the main idea that we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about is this. What creation teaches us about about you and I is this, that we are created by God and for God. We are created by God and for God created by God and for God. So the first point there, if you're taking notes, write this down. We are created by God, created by God. We are created by the will and the decision, the choice of God. Everything that exists is because of his will. Revelation 4.11 tells us that. It says, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will, They exist and were created. 
So our God is deserving of worship and all glory and power and honor and praise and all of that. Why? Because he created everything. And he created everything through his will. It was his choice to create. This tells me something about myself. And this is a question that, that we tend to wrestle with a lot as people, as a culture. Who am I, right? What is my identity? Who am I? This answers very clearly what our identity is. Part of who I am is I am a creature created by God. I am a creature of God. What that means is, is I'm not the creator and I'm not God. And that is a message that we don't tend to want to hear. It's certainly a message that our culture does not tell us. What our culture teaches us about our identity is that I'm what really matters. I'm what really matters. I'm not a creature dependent on a creator God for anything. I'm my own God. I can do whatever I want to do. I get to decide who I am. I decide that. This is what our culture teaches us, that, that I can define my own fate and destiny in life. It's almost this, this, this hyper-individualism that we see taught throughout our culture, especially here in, in, in America and in, in the West. We teach this mindset of just this hyper-individualism that it's all about you, right? How do I decide who I am? Well, it's whatever I think and feel, whatever I want to be. Whatever I want to be, that's, that's what I get to be. I'm, I'm the creator. I'm God. I don't have anybody outside of me that tells me what to do and who I am. I don't have anybody that I'm dependent on. I, I, I get to do it all myself. I get to define who I am. Whatever I think is right, whatever I feel is, is right, whatever makes me happy, that's who I am. And it's led to us as a culture, as a people, who are now defining ourselves outside of what God says. So we define who we are, my identity, my meaning, my purpose, my value is all defined by whatever I want, whatever I think and feel. And now it's led to us, like in, in this day that we're in, in 2023, now I get to redefine things like, like sexuality and gender according to whatever I think and feel. I get to decide who I want to love and be with. I get to decide what gender I am based on how I'm feeling in that moment, right? Like that's, that's where we are now. It's because we've gotten so far away from this idea that I am a creature created by God, dependent on God. And now I get to just decide whatever I want to decide, whatever I think is right and feel. So creation answers some of these big questions in life, like my identity, who I am. I am a creature of God, created as an image of God. And what that means is I can't find my ultimate purpose, my ultimate worth, my ultimate identity apart from God. I can only find that in God because he's the one who made me. He's the creator I'm the creature. And look, we're slowly figuring this out as a culture. Like there's more and more studies going on now that tell us this idea that this hyper-individualism has actually created a bunch of selfish people in the world. And selfish people tend to be lonely people because when you think about it, like who wants to be around a really selfish person that everything's all about them, whatever they want, whatever they want to do, it's kind of like, oh man. I don't really want to be around that person right now. Like, so what it's teaching us is what we've become as a society is really lonely. And that's led us to be really depressed, really anxious, really fearful of a bunch of things in life. It's not working. This idea of making everything about me and what I want, what I think and feel, like it doesn't work. It doesn't give us what we actually want. Because we're looking for it in a place where we can't find it. Looking at it apart from God. 
So creation tells me who I am. Creation also tells me that I was created by an intentional choice and desire of God. He wanted to create me. He wanted to create you. He wanted to create all of us. He wanted that. He desired to do that. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 14 says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. God wanted to make me. He wanted to make you. He formed you. He knitted you together. It was his intentional choice. We, we are who we are. We look the way we look because God did that and said, yeah, that's good. I love that. That's awesome. God wanted to create us. He wanted to do that. And what that gives me is worth and value. This is where I find my worth and value. See, our culture, though, again, our, our culture speaks this message of, of we're just here by some happy accident. Some just, just works of evolution, and after billions and billions of years, we end up with, with what we have today, right? So like billions and billions of years ago, there was atoms, and they collided, and then came together, and then cells formed, and then those cells decided to get together and multiply, and then eventually you get to 2023, and we're like carrying computers in our pockets, right? Like that's, that's as a result of billions and billions of years of evolution. That's what we're taught as a culture. And because of that, I'm just here by some happy accident, right? There's no big plan. There's no big vision. There, there's, no, there's no meaning, really, in this life. No ultimate meaning beyond whatever I want to do. There's nothing beyond this life. And look, that's why we're so desperate as a people to find worth and value and acceptance in anything we can. And look, we search for it in, in everything, right? We search for it in, in our jobs. We work tirelessly, giving hours after hours to get that promotion, to get ahead, to get that, that email from our boss that just says, hey, good job. And we're like, oh, man, that's awesome. In a dry and weary land, man, I thirst for that acceptance. And we long for that. But this is why we have social media, y'all. Like, this is why social media was created, to give us some sense of worth and value. Rewind 20 years ago or whenever it was before social media, like nobody needed you to post what you were eating that night. We were, we were fine without that knowledge. We, I didn't need to know that. You didn't need to know that about me. But what do we do? We, we post this stuff. Why? So that we can get likes. So that we can see people just click on that little button and that number goes up and up and up. And we, what do we do? When we see that, we go, oh yeah, that was a good post, wasn't it? Yeah, I like that pithy thought too, huh? Yeah, you guys like that? You want some more of that? Yeah. That's what we do. That's why social media makes billions and billions of dollars. It capitalizes on us desiring this sense of worth and value that we get from it. We find it in, in, in our relationships, right? In our relationships, our spouse, our kids. Like, we just so want to hear, oh, you're doing a good job. Oh, we love you so much. Like, we, we long to hear that. We want worth, value, and acceptance. And this is what every marketing Every commercial that we see is ultimately getting it. You need this thing. You need this new whatever. You need this new meal. You need to eat here because it will give you a sense of worth and value. We long for this. We're so desperate for this as a culture because there's something within us that's screaming. There's got to be more than what we see here. There's got to be more meaning to life than just I'm here by some happy accident. There's got to be more. And there is, there is more, but, but we can only find this true ultimate worth and value and acceptance 
in God alone. Because that's how he made us. He created us. And look, we can find that in, in just that knowledge that, that God wanted to create me, that he loved me so much that he made me. That's where we find our worth and value. I love how James 1.18 puts it. It says this, By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, we don't use that term first fruits for the most part unless you're a farmer. We're not really talking about that. But in, in this agrarian society, when they said first fruits, that was the beginning of the harvest, and that was always the best of the best. The best of the best. So when God says that we are his first fruits of all his creation, of, of all of his creatures, what he's saying here is he loves us the most, man. He loves us. He loves us the most. We're the very best in his mind, right? When he creates us, he says, man, this is very good. This is very good. Being created by God tells me who I am, that I'm, that I'm a creature, that I'm an image of God, and it tells me that I have worth and value and meaning in this life, just by the truth of God's creation. So I'm created by God. Number two, I am created for God. I'm created for God. So not only do I find my identity and worth in creation, I find my purpose. I find my purpose in creation. God created me for a purpose, for a reason. And because he, again, because he's the one that created us, I can only find my ultimate purpose and meaning in life in him. I can only find it in him. And our, our original purpose, our ultimate purpose, goes back to how he created us. Let's look again at Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. What does it say about how and why he created us? He said, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. This tells us what our purpose is. I am created by God to be an image of God. That's my purpose. That's my meaning in life. That's what I am supposed to do. I am supposed to be an image. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, look, there's, there's books and articles and a bunch of resources written on this idea trying to figure out exactly what this means. I can point you to some really good resources. I'm not going to get that too into the weeds for you today, I promise. Uh, but just kind of high level, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, just think about what the purpose of an image is. What's the purpose of an image? Why do we create an image? Why do we create a structure, a statue, a replica of something? It's to draw attention to that thing, right? It's to draw attention to that. So we create these statues and put them in places, or we create these, these monuments and replica to kind of remind us of a moment in history or a historical figure or some significant thing that happened. It's meant to draw attention to that thing or that person. That's what an image is. And even these words used here for image and likeness in Genesis chapter 1, they're very similar words. And what they, what they mean are, are words that they mean that it's a pattern or a model of something. It's a representation of something or someone. That's what these words mean, image and likeness. So what this tells us is being an image of God means that we are patterned, we are modeled after God to draw attention to God. To draw attention to God. Being an image of God means that I am to reflect 
God's nature and God's character to the world and call people to him. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. And that, that, that's what our purpose is, to, to do that. That's why God created us, is to reflect and image him to the world around us, to tell other people about our good and great God. And this goes, uh, we don't have to get too into the weeds here, in my nose. this goes beyond just me living individually as a person, like just following the Bible, like just following the commands of Scripture, being a good Christian, right? It goes beyond that and goes to how I impact the world around me, how I create culture around me, how I impact those other people in my life. Like it speaks to all of that. It's this holistic idea of, of doing everything to reflect who God is. That's my purpose. That's my design. That's why God created me. And, and here's, here's why he did that. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says this. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. Just like what Psalm 19 says, that all creation speaks to the glory of God, we're to do that same thing. We are to give glory to God. He created us to reflect glory, give him glory. And we do that by being an image, by being his image, by reflecting who he is to the world around me. By doing that, I glorify God, and that's my purpose. That's why I was designed. That's why I was created. And again, our, our culture speaks a lot about finding purpose and meaning in life. Just the other day, I was in a waiting room, and I see this magazine right there on, on the little table, and, and in big, bold letters, it said, find your purpose, how to find true meaning in your life. I was like, oh, that sounds great. I've been looking for that. I've been wondering what to do with my life. Well, let me see what they have to say about this. And I read, and they've, they've got five articles written by leading psychologists that, that try to help you find your purpose. And look, here's I can summarize what they said. All five articles I can summarize in this. How to find your true meaning. Here's what they're teaching you. Do whatever you want to do. Do whatever makes you happy. That's how you find your meaning. Is, is, is what do you like? Well, go do that. What, what don't you like? Well, avoid that. Stay away from anything that, that you don't like that's difficult or that might make you a little bit unhappy. Do whatever makes you happy. That's how you find purpose. That's how you find Meaning. And just like our identity, our culture's message about purpose and meaning in life is, is this, is just find it in yourself. Find it in yourself. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, go and do that. And look, if it was that easy, if it was that easy, we wouldn't need articles like this. We wouldn't need to spend the resources and the money that we do talking about this, writing books about this very thing over and over again. If it was just as simple as do whatever makes you happy, that's easy, that's easy because we're bent towards selfishness, right? We are bent towards selfishness. I told you, I got a two-year-old. I don't have to teach her how to be selfish. Already, she's going around telling everybody, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. I'm, even stuff that's not hers. She's going to her brother's toys and grabbing that and going, mine? I'm like, no, that's not yours. And then what? throwing a fit, right? Like the next thing happened, no, no, this is mine. We are bent towards selfishness. We don't need any help doing whatever makes us happy. That's what we already want to do. So if it was as simple as that, we wouldn't have a society and a world filled with frustrated and disappointed people. We wouldn't be having a society filled with people just craving for ultimate meaning and purpose in their life. Because here's the thing, if we just do what makes us happy, eventually that thing that makes us happy now isn't gonna last. Eventually that thing's not gonna make us happy 
anymore. That's why one of the the leading reasons for divorce in our world is irreconcilable differences. What that means is I just don't like you anymore. I don't like you anymore. You used to make me happy and now you don't. So I'm going to leave you and I'm going to find happiness somewhere else with someone else. That's what that means. So again, if it was just simple as doing whatever makes us happy, we wouldn't have a society filled with broken people. But we do because we're trying to find our purpose and meaning in life in something other than God. He did not design us to find meaning and purpose in ourselves. That's not how he created us. The other day, I, was, uh, I had two of my kids, uh, Livy and, and Mila, so my, my middle and my youngest, in the car with me, and we had to fill up gas. So I pull into a gas station, and I, and I start filling up the gas. I get the thing going. You know, I set the pump. You get the little thing. It clicks down and holds it there, and it's filling up the gas. And I get back in the car, and, and my daughter, who's six, she's like, Dad, how do you know when it's done? I know it's done. I was like, oh, that's a good question. I know when it's done because you'll hear it. It'll make this a goom sound, and that tells me that it's filled up enough, to, and, and the pump will just stop on its own. And I told her, I learned that as a little kid because on a road trip with my dad, so my dad lived in Florida, I lived up here in Georgia, so he came down, he came up to to get me, we drove down to Florida where he lived to to hang out with him. And I was like nine or 10 years old at this point, I think 10 years old. And we pull into a rest stop to to fill the car up with gas. I'm like, ooh, dad, can I do it? And he's like, yeah, sure, I'm gonna run inside, get some food, restroom, whatever he was doing. He's like, here, you just hold it down and you push this little thing and it clicks in and and just, it'll stop on its own. But I wanted to hold the pump because I thought I was really cool doing that and like a grown up. So I'm holding the pump and I'm holding it all of a sudden it goes, goom. I'm like, oh, that was weird. That can't be done. Hold it again. I'm just keep going. And I keep doing that and and I keep holding it down until eventually the gas is now overflowing out of the car, onto the street, all over me. We've got like an hour, two hours left before we get there. So the whole car ride, the rest of it just, I smell like gasoline. My dad's like, you can't do that again. So I learned at an early age, that's when you know the pump is done. Don't pump anymore once you hear the gunk. So I was telling her that story, and then she's asking more questions about gas. We were at this gas station that also had diesel fuel. And she's like, Dad, what's that over there? I was like, oh, that's diesel fuel. She's like, well, how come we don't, how come we don't do that? I was like, well, our car takes unleaded gasoline as well. We, we have gasoline, right? So that's how my car was made. Now, if I were to go to the diesel pump and put diesel fuel in my car, what would happen? I might get a little bit down the road, but eventually that engine is not going to work anymore. Same if I had a diesel fuel engine, if I put unleaded gasoline in there, It's not going to work. That's not how it was designed. It's the same with us. When we try to find purpose and meaning outside of God, we go against our design. And when we do that, we're never going to find what we're looking for. We're never going to find satisfaction. We're never going to find ultimate joy and peace and worth and meaning in our life because that's not how we were made. And look, here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of how God made us. God designed us to find our everything in him. He designed us to find our everything in him. Everything that we long for, meaning, purpose, value, identity, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, peace, all of that that we ultimately long for, that we're searching for, that we're trying to find in anything and anyone, we find that in God. We find that in God. Look, we are made to glorify God, right? That's what we said. We're made to glorify God. Well, here's how God designed us. God is most glorified when we find our everything in him. When we find our everything, our satisfaction, our joy, our fulfillment in him, that's when God is most glorified. The pastor, theologian, author, John Piper puts it this way, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him, when we find our everything in him. 
him. I want to read you a series of verses that, that speak to this. One of those is John 10.10. 10. It says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. God wants to give us abundant life. That means life overflowing. You've got so much life, you don't know what to do with it. That's what that word means. He wants to give us abundant life. Mark 8, 34, Jesus says this, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And he proceeds to say, if you want to find your life, you gotta lose your life. You gotta lose your life because true life is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. Him. So you got to sacrifice, you got to die to all of these things that we search for, that we long for in this world, in this life. We got to die to that and find it in Jesus. And when we do that, we find true life. Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 2 says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. That's God's message to us. And we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're searching. He says, hey, you're looking in places that don't satisfy. Come find that in me. Come find that in me. At John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one, comes, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty Again, he is the one that satisfies. Jeremiah 2:13, "For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water." So when we look for these things in life, the satisfaction, joy, fulfillment, you name it, whatever it is, when we try to find that in the world, it's like taking a, a, a jug for water that has cracks in it and filling up the water and then it leaks all over the place and we're like, where'd the water go? What happened? How come I'm not filled up? That's because you went to a broken jug. You dug a broken cistern and it's gonna leak all over the place. We're meant to find these things in God alone. Psalm 1611, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. That's what we find in our God. Abundant joy, pleasure. That's what our God provides. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Now, why would he do that? It's because that treasure is worth far more than anything he owned. That's who our God is. We find our everything in God. It's like that. We find this treasure that's worth more than we could ever imagine. We can't put a dollar figure on it. That's how good our God is. And when we find our everything in him, this other stuff that we look for, this other thing that we, that we try to find satisfaction in, well, it all of a sudden doesn't look as valuable anymore. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna sell all of that because, because this, this is the best. This is what matters. This is where I find my everything. That's the message of God. That's the message of scripture. All satisfaction, all joy, all fulfillment, all purpose, worth, meaning, identity, acceptance, community, and on and on and on. Everything that we long for, we can find that in God alone. We find that in God. He created it to be this way. And every time we go outside of that design, 
That's where we find brokenness. That's where we find disappointment, frustration, discontentment. And it will ultimately, when we try to find our life, meaning or purpose, satisfaction, whatever it is, when we try to find that outside of God, it will ultimately lead to death. Life can only be found in God. This is what the good news, this is what his message, his story is really about. God wants to give us true life, ultimate life, eternal life with him. That's what God wants to do. But we've rebelled against that. We've rejected God's ways and God's truth. We've gone our own way. We've chased after our own desires. We've chosen sin and gone against God. And that has brought us death. And it's put us on the path. If we continue in our sin, it's put us on the path to be eternally separated from God in hell forever. That's where it takes us. That's where we're headed. But God's good news is is that that doesn't have to be our fate. That doesn't have to be the end of our story because God provides a way of salvation. The Bible says if if we believe in him, if we put our trust in him, if we believe in Jesus, right, if we trust in him for salvation and not ourselves, if I don't rely on myself for salvation, I don't rely on, well, I'm just hoping that at the end of my days, my good works will outweigh my bad works and I'll, I'll be good enough for God. That, that's not how it works. We can't save ourselves. We can't. But God provides a way for us to be saved. And all we got to do is say, say, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust in you and your salvation, not my own. And when we do that, we can have forgiveness. We can have freedom. We can have restoration. We can have salvation. So God's not an oppressive God. He's not just using us. He's not toying with us. He's not messing with us. He, he is for our good. He wants to satisfy. He wants to meet all of our longings, and, and he can, and he does. Everything we want, everything that we need is found in him. Let's stop our searching. Let's stop our longing. We don't have to look anywhere other than God, other than our creator. As he created us, He is for us. He loves us. God created us to find our everything in him. So Christian in the room, if you're here and you say, yeah, I'm a believer, I've put my faith in Jesus, Travis, I'd encourage you, let let, let this be a reminder for us today of who our God is. Because there's times where we stray too. There's times where we don't try to find our everything in God. We, We try to find it in the things of this world. We look for any number of things in this world, and we turn away from God. So Christian in the room, let this be a reminder of who our God is, that we find our everything in him. Let's turn back to him. Let's turn back to him. If you're here and you're, you're not a believer, you're unsure maybe where you stand with Jesus, I would just say, you don't have to search anymore. You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to long anymore for your identity, for your purpose, for your worth, your meaning, your value, anything like that. You don't have to search for satisfaction in life. We can find that in our creator, God. All we have to do is turn to him in faith. All we have to do is trust in him. So in a minute, I'm gonna pray. Band's gonna come up, or Johnny's gonna come up. 
going solo today. Johnny's gonna come up and lead us in a couple more songs. And, and I would encourage you, if you're here and you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, or you're here and you're like, man, I'm, I'm done trying, I'm done searching, I wanna come to Jesus, I don't even know what that means, I'll, I'll be hanging out in the back, I'd love to talk with you, I'd love to answer any questions, pray with you about that. And as Johnny leads us, we're gonna do what we do every single Sunday, and this is a, a time of communion and worship. So believer in the room, this is a, this is a time for us. This is a time for us to, to be with God. That's what communion means. It means to commune, to be with Jesus. So I would encourage you, believer in the room, spend some time in prayer. Maybe what today has, has brought you is just a deeper love and affection of God, and you're, you're more Psalm 33, man, I'm just standing in awe of my creator. Maybe just spend a few minutes just praising God for who he is and what he's done. Maybe God's reminded you during this time, and you know what, I, I have looked for things in this world. I, I've, I've turned away from Jesus and I've been chasing and living for the things of this world. Well, here again is the beauty of the gospel is that repentance and grace and mercy are always an option. We can always turn back to Jesus. So maybe you just need to spend a few minutes in confession and repentance and again, just spending time with Jesus. And believer in the room, as you're ready, we go on either side of the room here. We've got our table set up with the communion elements. You take and you eat and you drink and we remember the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood on the cross for our sins and the salvation and forgiveness that he alone provides. So we eat, we drink, we come back and we worship our good God and Savior. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for who you are, Lord, that, that, you, that you are the creator, God, that you have created us, that we are created for you and by you, Jesus. Lord, use this time as a reminder of who you are and what you have done, Lord, that you have made us, that you have formed us, that you have knitted us together. We are here by your will, Lord, that we are a creature made to, to image you, to reflect you, to give you all glory and praise and honor, Jesus. Lord, you forgive us when we stray, when we try to find these things in the world. We try to find these things that you alone provide, Lord, satisfaction, fulfillment, joy and peace, Lord, all these things that you offer us. Lord, forgive us when we go to those broken cisterns of the world. Lord, let us, let us turn back to you and find our everything in you, Jesus. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We lift high your name today. In your name we pray. Amen.